If you have access to a black ESV study Bible, we'll be on page 468 in a little bit. Page 468, there's a complimentary copy in front of you at Psalm 39. We're going to look at just two verses there in a little bit. Did you see the news yesterday? President Obama flew to Palm Springs. Today, I fly to Palm Springs. Rumors abound, speculation runs rampant that we'll be playing golf together out there. But uh, later today, a spokesperson for me will uh, issue a statement, neither confirming or denying. Uh, I wasn't uh, supposed to teach today. I had someone else uh, to teach for you in my, in my stead, in my place. Uh, that fell through, so I am here today. Don't look so disappointed. But you won't be disappointed when you hear this part, for real. And I've never done this. I plan to never do it again. But um, you're going to get a short, shorter sermon today. And then I'm going to go with my friend, Brent Shorter, who's got blue lights on his vehicle, and we're going to run to the airport as fast as we can. I literally do have a plane to catch, and every minute counts. But maybe in the future, I can come before you and, like Creflo Dollar, ask for my own private jet of $165 million to take the gospel around the world. Amen. Amen. RJ's going to hustle with me and... We're going out to see Susan and the other two, and as a lot of you know, a lot of you do know because you prayed and you brought by food this week. When, when my son grows up and someone asks him about the church, he's going to say it's a group of people who bring food when mom's out of town and dad is so helpless. But it's been a really good week. I thank you for your love. And today is Father's Day, and uh, I'm going out to see a man that I love who's become like a father to me, my father-in-law, who truly is in his last days, and uh, hard, heavy, uh, Vacation, I guess you will, for us, and we appreciate your prayers. A lot of you have been praying. 20 years ago when I met this man, my father-in-law, Richard Mamarian, an Armenian guy from New Jersey who raised his girls in California, we were at a restaurant, first time I ever met him, and the, the bill came. It was a cheesecake factory in Redondo Beach. The bill came by, and I didn't know what to do. I, I loved his daughter, and I think he was onto that. And as the check came by, I thought, I'll just hand him a couple of 20s. And as I handed it to him, he pushed the money back from me and he said, don't insult me. Uh, And I hadn't insulted him in 20 years. (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm good with that. I'm very good with that. Susan said, I'll tell you, because a lot of you um, know Susan and you love her and you love her more than me, and I'm good with that. she called me a couple of nights ago. We've talked every day, of course, but she called me a couple of nights ago and said she's had some time with her dad in his study at home. And he said, Susan, she's the oldest. And he said, um, let's write my obituary. And I just love this man. Um, I saw him walk his oldest daughter down the aisle to me when I married her. And I saw him walk his other two daughters down the aisle to me when I was the preacher who married them. And I just love this man. I just thank you all for uh, coming around to us, and we'll uh, try to keep you updated on how all that's going, and thank you. And, you know, I think it's good and healthy to say this. We've spent money going back and forth. Susan has this spring, and Fondren Church has helped us make this trip possible, and for that we are just really, really grateful. In, uh, on August the 15th, uh, 1987, Howard Schultz purchased a, a chain of coffee shops called Starbucks for $4 million. He was, it was a, a, an eager move, it, but it was one that was fraught with peril, with danger. 
He bought the coffee houses, the string of coffee houses, for, as I said, $4 million. And in his book, his autobiography, he wrote called Pouring Your Heart Into It. He talks about he had this moment, this opportunity. It was a, a seize the moment. There were high risk, but there was reward. And he said, it was, I didn't want to live with the what if regrets. And less than five years later, on June 26th, um, 1992, um, the stock was publicly traded and it uh, closed the second highest stock on NASDAQ that day uh, when the bell rang. And it came in at a, 200, a whopping $265 million. Not bad for a $4 million investment. And Howard Schultz would say, I had this moment. And I, I didn't want to miss the moment. I think one of the saddest epitaphs in all of Scripture is found about Pharaoh, King Pharaoh, in Jeremiah 46 and 17. Give Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the title of loudmouth, the man who missed his moment. You don't want to be that guy. I don't, do you? Life gives us, it gives you and I a stream of moments, a series of opportunities, moments to share, to give, to learn, to love, to serve, to walk in the way of Jesus, to have a kind and compassionate heart, to take risks, to try things to tap into the willingness of the, the spirit that God has given us. But do we make the moments, make the most of the moments that God gives us? There's a, a psalm, it's before you. We're going to put it on the screen. Psalm 39 and verse 4 and 5, it says the following. A lot of you know that we're in a series called Songs, and we're looking at the songs of the Bible in the middle of the Bible, 150 of them. We're not looking at all 150, but we are today looking at this. Oh, Lord, make me... Make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Some of you recall a, a psalm in chapter 90 and verse 12, similar. Teach me, Lord, to number my days that I may apply my heart to wisdom. Here's another song about time. Every time I look in the mirror, all these lines on my face getting clearer. The past is gone. It's a Psalm 151. It went by like dust to dawn. Isn't that the way? Everybody's got their dues in life to pay. Next. Sing with me. Sing for the year. Sing for the laughter, sing for the tears, sing with me just for today. Maybe tomorrow the good Lord will take you away. Psalm 151, or Dream On by Aerosmith. <laughs> this morning, I want us briefly, as we consider this, this song, not the Aerosmith one necessarily, but the Psalm 39 one, about the measure of our days and how fleeting our lives are. I want us to consider about the investments that we make of, of time, our, our priorities. When it comes to time, all of us, let's be honest, all of us are, are, we have to bow to the inevitable, to the have-tos. What are the have-tos for you? I mean, we all have to work, don't we, most of us? So we have to invest at the office, at school, at home. We have to 
meet the demands of the boss. We can't miss meetings. We got projects that we have to complete. There's just things that, that we need to do. Interesting, when I was studying about this idea of, of work this week, thinking about the the brevity of our lives and how much investment we have to make in work and how hard, how, how much toil it is for us. I, I was reading from, about Benjamin Franklin. Back in the day, Ben Franklin said, he was talking about all the time-saving, labor-saving devices, and he predicted out in the future, not the Jetsons necessarily, but he predicted that the average American worker would work about eight hours a week. It's more than that for all of us, isn't it? It's a lot more than that. We have to work. It's one of those obligations. And we have one of our other have-tos is just personal things that we have to do. You have to sleep. You have to shower. You have to, you have to shave. You have to brush your teeth. You have to floss your teeth. There's household chores. You've got to mow the lawn. I mowed the lawn today at 9 a.m. I had a neighbor across the way going, that's the preacher mowing his lawn on Sunday. He's going to hell. I'm like, no, I'm going out of town to the desert that's hot as hell. But there are, there, are, there are just chores. There are things that we have to do. We've got, to, we got bills to pay. We've got a checkbook to balance. That's kind of old school, isn't it? Checkbook to balance. We've got to look at our bank account online, whatever they say, whatever the kids say these days. There's just obligations that we all have. When Susan and I got married those um, almost 19 years ago, I said, babe, what's the, the household chore that you just find the most difficult to do? You like it the least, and without hesitation, she said, cleaning the bathroom. I said, I got that. I'll take that off your plate. You don't have to worry about it. And she's never had to clean a bathroom. I haven't either. They're a real mess at our house. <laughs> 19 years. We have work. We have personal things. Uh, that we have to do, responsibilities here and there. There's, there's the jobs. There's the things that occupy us. There's the recreational activities uh, that we have. We, always, we all put our hopes in things that will make our lives easier. We really do bow to this convenience that we, that we all really desire because we want more time for me and less time doing those mundane things. But it's, it's astonishing if you think about all the inventions from, from the Dwight D. Eisenhower era to now and look at how complicated and how little time it saved us. Not too long ago, my dental hygienist recommended uh, an electronic toothbrush. I'm thinking, what she, what's she saying to me, right? But with this electronic toothbrush... It came with a 31-page instruction manual, which told me before using the toothbrush to read the instructions carefully. Back, back long ago, some of you remember, there was an invention called the VCR. It was the first time that people could record what they wanted to watch and then watch it when they most desired. But the instructions were so hard on how to install the VCR. Did some of y'all remember this? People actually died during the installation or trying to comprehend the instructions. The paramedics would come to people's homes, they would drag out their cold, lifeless bodies, and they would record the time of death as 12 o'clock because that's what was flashing on the VCR. We have so much, so many have-tos. But this morning, for just a couple of minutes, I want to encourage you to think about, in light of Psalm 39, the measure of your days, the fleeting nature of your life, to think about the get-tos. 
the get-tos. Somebody once put it this way. Time is God's gift to us. How we invest it, what we do with our, I'm sorry, what we do with it is our gift to God. Lewis said what we weave in time, we wear in eternity. It's been said by a preacher friend of mine often that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I was a part of a survey not too long ago that asked a bunch of folks, thousands of people, what's the thing that keeps you from knowing and loving God better? The number one answer, far and away, I'm too busy. It's ironic for me being a bit of a historian anyway to look at the early church and to see that the earlier followers of Jesus, those who were known as people of the way, who didn't try to just fit God in a little marble-sized mini-commitments. They didn't make community worship and prayer into that as just something that was added on to their lives. But they followed Jesus. They realized if they're going to be like Jesus, they're going to need to follow in the way of Jesus. And the early church, they didn't let persecution, prison, poverty, martyrdom, throw them off track. But you and I, we let the excuse, I'm just too busy. Remember one of Jesus' most favorite teachings? Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And what trips us up so often is all these things. I don't know that there's a lot of you who come stumbling home drunk every night and being mean and cruel and evil. But I know a lot of us stagger around with no real time for God. And we're going after all these things. The TV and social media will mesmerize you. Advertisers will lie to you. Corporations will contrive things your way. Uh, Even churches will be so overly programmed to keep you busy, they'll drain you. And Jesus calls us for time with him. Sticking with our sermon series of Psalms, remember Psalm 1, we preached it just a couple of weeks ago, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I want my life to be one of substance. I'm I'm never going to be a perfect man. I'm going to fail at every turn. But I want depth to my life. I don't want to skim with God. I want to be like that. I want to receive nourishment. I'm kind of tired. I've tried it for a a number of years on and off, but trying to, to... get through in my own flesh and my own strength, it has been very frustrating and fatiguing for me. I want to be like someone who obeys Jesus, who simply abides next to the one who can give me nourishment. And when I do that, he gives me life. I find myself less judgmental and less critical, less easily irritated and more joyful. I find that I've got life to give to others. When God calls me to pastor and to be a husband, to be a friend, and to come home and to be a father, I can joyfully, with great reward, get exhausted at the end of the day and fall out in bed because I've been planted by the water, by the river of water, the streams that can give me life, that can give me nourishment. And as I meditate on his law day and night, I've told some of you before, I want to be known as a man whose mind is immersed in Scripture. I want God to be the big get-to in my life. 
I get to be with him. I get to seek him first. And then I trust him to let all these things be added unto me. Another get to, I'm keeping it simple and short this morning, is people. Relationships can't be microwaved. Intimacy is never convenient. People take time. I want to be the kind of man that takes notice. I want to look. I want to treasure. I don't want those closest to me to describe me later as someone who was too busy, who had a laptop or an iPad and a closed door in very little time. I want to invest in what really matters, and that's people. I want to have a compassionate heart, tenderhearted. I want to be forgiving because I've been forgiven. I want to grant that to other people. The psalmist would later pray in a few chapters later. I was blessed when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. He wanted to be with other people. He wanted to invest in others. I want the testimony of my life to be as I follow after Jesus. I want, I want to be the kind of leader when people look at me, they'll realize that people really did matter. Programs have a little bit of a place, but it's people who really, really matter. But have you noticed, when we get close together, one writer described us as kind of like porcupines. We need each other, but we get close, and then we needle each other. Look at Romans, what it says in Romans 15.1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. It goes on to say in the second half of that that we ought not to please ourselves. And I wonder if you look at your priorities, the measure of your time, is it about doing things just for you? Are you looking at people? Are you looking at those who are weak? You know, every life matters. My friend Cheney and some others brought it to my attention this past weekend that one of the gentlemen who has been around our church a lot, who, who uh, when I preached a sermon on homosexuality and gay marriage, he, he sat right there, and I was already nervous. And I remember looking at Jason. I was almost this close in the middle of the message saying, Jason, pay attention. Because Jason sometimes could be a distraction. You see, Jason was homeless, six foot six guy. He claimed often to me when I'd buy him lunch or something that he was the seventh cousin of Andre the Giant. And Jason stepped out in front of a car last weekend on I-55 and he was killed. To our knowledge, Jason had nobody. We, we talked this week. We said we ought to do a service for Jason. How can we do this legally? How can we do this in, in a right way, in a, an honoring way? Because every life matters. People really do matter to God. Every life. And sometimes you're going to be strong, and when you're strong, what do you do? Please yourself, live your way, or bear the failings of the week. Can I just say, church, what if that was us? What if we thought about the measures of our days? What if we thought about being a church in this community that would live this out, that we would bear the failings of the week? And if you're weak today, let somebody know. Let somebody know where you are weak. 
I read the autobiography of Arnold Schwarzenegger about a decade ago, and Arnold Schwarzenegger talked about when he came in from Austria, he was not that big, and then he just, man, he got ripped, but his legs were sort of an object of embarrassment for him. He would go to the gym in Venice Beach or wherever, and he would wear long pants when he worked out, and he would neglect his legs, and he told us a story in his autobiography. One day, he just said, you know what? I'm wearing shorts, and he exposed that weakness, his bony little bird legs, and it gave him what he needed to work on his legs. And like a bodybuilder's weak little calves, so it's true for us. The more we hide something, the more we cover something up, the less help than we can get. We can get. People really matter. But it, let's be honest. I'm not on a lofty perch when I preach this. We started Fondren Church a few years ago, and I had an gr- opportunity to talk to some younger church pastors not that long ago, and I said, man, don't plant a church unless you have to. Do not do this. And if you do, you're going to have to sacrifice some things in great measure. You'll get fewer vacations. You'll work longer hours. You're going to have to cheat some people. We could argue about this later. I don't want to. We could, but I just think it's inevitable. When something's getting started, some of you know this, when you're starting something, the early stages are really, those formative stages are fragile stages. Requires a lot. And recently, talking to a friend and having some time in solitude, I thought, when do I turn that corner? When do I say that there's some folks I'm not going to cheat anymore? And if I cheat, I'll cheat you. There's a pastor over in Atlanta, who wrote something called Choosing to Cheat. Now, let me, let me balance this out because there's different kinds of cheating, aren't there? There's an unethical kind of cheating. There's a, there was an old Miss football player I learned about who um, talked to his professor. And he was an old Miss football player, and he sat next to the brightest student in the class, straight-A student. The professor informed him that even though he only missed one answer on the test, he had failed the test. The Ole Miss football player said, just one and I failed, why is that? He said, well, because of who you were sitting next to. He said, he only missed one answer too. And the Ole Miss football player said, well, that's a coincidence. He said, it was the same question. The Ole Miss football player said, that's a coincidence. He said, well, the straight A student wrote on his test, I don't know the answer to this. And you wrote to the same question, I don't know the answer to this either. (laughs) There's cheating can y'all give me that, by the way? That, uh, that's like one a year, okay? Just one old Miss. I mean, honestly, one a year. That's all. Okay, thank you. No? There's that unethical kind of cheating, but there's a good kind of cheating that's very ethical. It's when we make a decision in order to, to go towards something, we're going to have to go away from something. In order to prioritize something, we're going to have to deprioritize something else. Dads, it's foolish to invest a bunch of time building a swing set when you have no time to swing with your kid. It's foolish to work hard to make so much money to buy the best education when the best education is being with your child and telling them the wisdom that you've been given. God desires us to learn how to cheat. If we're going to lean into the get-tos, I mean, the have-tos, 
I guess we've got to be efficient. I guess we've got to make choices. But the, the get-tos, God and people, I pray we can, we can think afresh of those. And we can have conversations. I'm, I'm glad someone had the gumption to talk to me recently. And they maybe thought they were kicking against the goats. Maybe they thought the preacher was going to get critical or defensive, but they just tapped right into what God was already saying to me about making a decision, a good, God-honoring, cheating decision. Happy Father's Day. When I pulled on the campus with my own 16-year-old son, I looked at my friend Rick Speaker one of our deacons, one of our small group leaders, Rick became a dad this year, along with a whole bunch of guys, Rob Puckett and Austin Moore, um, Shelton Bounds. I shouldn't have started naming names. I'm going to leave people out. There's just a whole bunch of new dads. And I, I see Parker Berry and Wesley Mock being some good friends of mine who are just on their way in weeks to be dads. It's a time of great joy for these men and others. Happy Father's Day. But for others, it's a very hard day. A lot of folks skip out on church because it's Father's Day. Today, when it comes to the measure of our days, this psalmist prayed this prayer, wrote this song, sang this song. We don't know what melody. That's the bummer about the psalms. We don't know what melody. But this song was to a good heavenly father. Who knows? when your days will end. And I pray that you and I can do better as a church with our get-tos, with God, and with people. And let me say, because I don't want to run toward a plane and not have said this today, but as a church family, collectively, we've all watched the news, we've had a variety of conversations, but we've seen what happened this week at a church in Charleston. Every life matters. And in America, we have a race problem. And we have a violence problem. And we have a mental health problem. And I pray that we would measure our days, learn to measure our days, and to live what really matters. What if we were a God and people church? And we let God add those other things to us as we sought first his kingdom. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to stand and have an invitation time of time where some of our staff will be down front to pray with you. And uh, don't leave. I'm, I'm going to because I have to. But don't leave today and give God your worship and song. Pray today if he's calling you to be prayed for over some decision, direction in your life. And we'll worship God through our tithes and offerings today. Would you, would you pray with me? In fact, go ahead and stand.